Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome to Overnight America. What a important night. Amy Coney Barrett sworn in as a Supreme Court justice. What a night. The votes just came in. The announcement I got to say, we'll talk about it later in the show, but it was pretty neat to be able to witness this as it happened. Are there any senators in the chamber who wish to vote or change their vote? If not, on this vote, the yeas are 52, the nays are 48. The nomination of Amy Coney Barrett of Indiana to be an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States is confirmed. And there it was, is confirmed. And you know what? It's a thing that a lot of people are very happy for, myself included. I am happy that she is going to be the next Supreme Court justice, highly qualified. There were a couple of back and forth for the moment, and this happened just about an hour ago. 52 to 48 was the final vote, and a lot of the Democrats didn't even bother to stay. They just like, peace out. <laughs> They're already starting to threaten things. Oh, you'll rue the day. Now, keep in mind... They're trying to use Mitch McConnell's own line, and it's like they're plagiarizing him. They're stealing his line. Now, this goes back to the Harry Reid days where he dropped the threshold of what would be a confirmation vote. And Mitch McConnell said, you'll regret this sooner than later. Then all of a sudden you have the Democrats saying that now, oh, Republicans, you'll uh, regret this sooner than later. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, all things considered, if you're Donald Trump and you go back and look at your first term, and I do hope that he gets a second term. But let's say, let's say even if he doesn't get a second term, if he goes back and says, well, at least I got three Supreme Court justices in. Imagine this. Imagine a Hillary Clinton in what she would have put three on. <laughs> That's um, at, a lot of times you're trying to find the good there. And I think there would be a lot of good. I'm so nervous about next week. I don't know about you. I, I just really don't know how this is going to go down. You know, Rich Rubino is going to join us in a few minutes, and we'll talk to him about the election, maybe what the latest is. He wanted to talk about the different states the candidates and their surrogates are focusing on and what that may mean, what their internal polling and what their indication is of why those states would be important. So who's focusing on what? Well, look at that. You know, apparently Texas is a state that they're focusing on. I really can't understand why um, the, the Democrats feel like they're going to win Texas. That seems so foreign to me. Maybe it's not. Maybe Rich Rubino 
will be able to get that in. So that'll be great. Also joining us a little bit later in the show. His name is um, uh, David Hersanyi, and he wrote a couple of articles for the National Review. There's a few that are interesting. The one was Biden is underperforming Hillary. So if you look at the polls again in where Hillary was versus where Trump is uh, back in 2016. Now, where's Biden compared to where Hillary was then? Where's Trump compared to where he was then? What could that indicate, if anything? Or maybe it means nothing. Maybe it's just an interesting observation. So we'll look at that, too. And later in the show, we'll talk to a local author, historian Nene Harris. I'm very glad she's going to join us about her new book called Oldest St. Louis. She's uh, someone that I know listens to the show, and she may be listening right now because she'll drop me nice emails every now and again. And it, it means so much when I open up my email and there's Nene. Oh, I really enjoyed the Ann Keefe special. Oh, thanks, Nene. So she's coming on at the 10 o'clock hour to get that in. So really, really looking forward to it. Um yeah, I might be able to sneak one phone call in before we get to Rich Rubino. If you want to text into the show, you can. If there's something you wanted Rich to answer, it's 314-436-7900. And let's go to Vernell. Welcome to Overnight America. Good evening. Hi. My question is, how can you say the Republicans are not stacking the deck on the Supreme Court? There'll be six conservative justices on the Supreme Court now. President Trump has put three on how can you say that Republicans are not stacking the deck on Supreme Court with conservative justice? I don't know if I use the term stacking the deck. If I did, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, but... Come on now, stack the deck. You well, you, you can call it stacking the, the deck, Court. but Vernell, what are we supposed to do? So let me just say, hypothetically, Hillary Clinton was able to fill three. Would you have been upset if she would have filled three justices that were left-leaning? They didn't do it. As the them of course, do you know what? Um, okay. Thank goodness they didn't do it. I would have been upset then. Yeah, I guess if the oh, shoe was on the other foot, I would be minute. upset. Why are you not saying the Republicans are stacking, not stacking the deck on the Supreme Court? Huh? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you why. For now, I'll tell you exactly why. Because if you want to try to put someone in that's constitutionally minded, someone that wants to follow the law of the Constitution as opposed to trying to be an activist on the bench, much like Ruth Bader Ginsburg was, then you would be happy. I'm happy that they're going to be following the Constitution and someone that's minded in that sense. So, yeah, I'm happy. I don't have no problem putting someone constitutionally minded in as opposed to a liberal type of uh, justice that would want to act in a way that is more socially minded. I'm, I'm very happy for that, so I don't have to hide it. Well, I tell you, those liberal Democrats brought in Social Security, okay? Okay? So now, what about that? A lot of people live off Social Security, all right? So what I'm saying, nobody talking about the Democrats who are not do things for the country. But the fact that you Republicans always accept the fact that you're right. You're never wrong. <laughs> when are you going to be wrong? When are you going to be wrong? I'm not saying I'm never and wrong. I'm I don't, I don't I'm think I ever claim to be right all the time. What's wrong with me saying no, I'm happy? I'm, I'm excited that there's a constitutional-minded justice going in. What's wrong with that? Well, you take a affordable act, that's going to be discharged. And you're going to take abortion, that's going to be discharged. You're going to take rights that people have. So only thing you can say one thing, is Republicans stacking the deck of the Supreme Court. That's all. Thank you. Okay, thanks for now. Again, you're not making me feel like I'm regretful for those feelings. I mean, all of those things are things I would agree with. So let me let me say this. You're putting someone in constitutionally minded. I'll never apologize for that. And if that's something that people are upset about, then maybe we talk about it later. Why are you so upset if we put someone constitutionally minded on the highest court who is meant to uh, 
rule based on the law, the Constitution, interpret the Constitution in a way. So I think all of those things are important. And yeah, we'll talk about this later in the show. Don't worry. I understand people are upset. I'm not. I'm not upset. I'm not going to hide it. Richard Pino is going to join us. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks. He joins us every Monday. This is Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. And welcome to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. And joining us is Rich Rubino, American Politics on the Rocks. Hey, uh, Rich Rubino, hello. Hello, Ryan. How are you? Good. I think the swearing in is happening right now. So what I would like to do is bring this up live. If you'd like to listen to uh, Amy Coney Barrett get uh, sworn into the Supreme Court. Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Amy Coney Barrett, you solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any mental reservation. Without any mental reservation. Or purpose of evasion. Or purpose of evasion. And that I will well and faithfully discharge. And that I will well and faithfully discharge. The duties of the office on which I am about to enter. The duties of the office on which I am about to enter. Uh-oh. So help me God. So help me God. All right, there it is. Richard Bino, Amy Coney Barrett, the latest Supreme Court justice filling the seat of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Justice Thomas was the one that was swearing her in. A historic night here in America. Pretty exciting. Something yeah, it's else. amazing. Just one week before the uh, before the election. Yes, it is amazing. A lot has been going on. What a what a year 2020, huh? <laughs> oh, know, my God. I don't know about you. Um, when you had your high school yearbook, did they always have, like, here's what happened over the past year to kind of give you a remembrance of everything that went down? I don't know what the high school kids' yearbooks will look like this year when they try to look back at 2020. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was interesting. So it would have been 97. So you go back to what was happening at that time. I mean, you know, 97 was kind of, I think, the last kind of innocent year of the country in many respects. This was right before Monica Lewinsky, right before the 2000 election, the protracted process, right before the Iraq war, uh, right before, you know, right, right before Trump, right before everything else. That was the year that the issues were the budget, the budget battles between Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich, the balanced budget, whether the best way to get to a balanced budget was by using numbers from the Congressional Budget Office or the Office of Management and Budget, whether the line item veto was constitutional, Bill Clinton signed legislation in 97, or 96 rather, that um, essentially established the president as a line item veto. It was later nixed in the United States Supreme Court, but just these were essentially the issues that were going on, and then you had other issues. I mean, Bill Clinton in 1996, for example, his campaign, he probably had the lowest mandate of any presidential candidate in American history to win. He was basically going around the country making proposals, like, for example, he wanted to, uh, he did one thing where he gave um, cell phones, a program to give cell phones to neighborhood watchdog groups. He talked about curfews. He talked about school uniforms in the State of the Union Address in 1996. This was a time when essentially the country was essentially at a time of general peace and general prosperity. People were generally depoliticized, so as a result, those were the issues that we were focused on. Now, fast forward to 2020, and it's quite, it's, uh, quite different. 
Yeah, it is. No kidding. The things that we do pay attention to. And now, on top of all of that, who knows what's going to be changing, essentially, between now and the election. Because here's what I'm wondering is going to happen. I wonder when we'll actually get the results. Because what we're seeing is a record turnout of people that are turning in their ballots early. Last check, it was like maybe just over 60 million or something, which is pretty remarkable, all things considered. They're talking about a record turnout and probably the the highest turnout in the last 100 years for a presidential election, which is pretty amazing, too. And I was thinking about everyone that may be showing up on Tuesday to the actual polling places. And historically, what happens is if you're in line when the polling area closes, they put up like an officer or something at the end and they say, all right, everyone that's in line gets to vote. No one else gets in. Makes me wonder how long those lines will be, how long it'll take for the actual polling places to close, and how much longer it'll take to report this. I think there's a pretty good chance we won't even know who the president is the night of the election. I would concur with that. Unless it's a landslide, and I don't think it's going to be a landslide of that proportion, I think that's true. I think it's going to probably be a protracted process uh, like what happened in 2000. Yeah. Are you excited for that? So as someone that pays close attention to politics, does that, does that, is, do you say, oh, this will be an exciting night? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I'm, I'm expecting it to go further than actual election night. You know, it's interesting. In 1980, uh, Jimmy Carter caught a lot of heat. It was appeared it was going to be a landslide. So Jimmy Carter conceded the election on national television before the results came in in the West Coast, um, in, the, in the West Coast, you know, California, Oregon, Washington. So what happened is there was a depressed turnout for Carter voters, and a lot of those people did not go to the polls. And Tip O'Neill, the, speaker of the, the, the future Speaker of the House at the time, the House Majority Leader, was absolutely up in arms with Carter because he said that by Carter, by Carter conceding early, what happened, he thinks about 10 to 15 congressional seats, maybe 20 congressional seats that were in play, went to the Republicans because those people are going to vote for Carter, said, oh, I'm not going to go out and vote, and those were also the people that are going to be voting for the Democrats. So generally the consensus is even if you, um, if you know you're going to lose an election, you wait till the very end. And yet another, another example, in 1996, Bob Dole, I mean, he had polls that showed that he was going to lose. It looked like he actually came within nine points, but it looked like he was going to lose what he did in order to keep the, to keep the House and the Senate in Republican, in Republican hands. is He went on a 96-hour ride he called the Rock Around the Clock Tour. Essentially, he knew he was going to lose. He later said that, but he went to just about every congressional, all the congressional districts and Senate states that had contested Senate seats to try to keep them in play as kind of an altruistic thing for, I guess, him to do to keep the, to keep the control of the Republicans in the House and the Senate in Republican hands, and he was able to do that. Wow. Bob Dole, 97 years old, still with us, which is really awesome. Um, man, living legend. Uh, if we um, look at the polling and things that are showing right now, and I know that we've looked at the way the race sits every time we meet on Mondays, we kind of get a snapshot of it. Has much changed to you, or do you feel like it's pretty much been level? We've kind of seen, at least from the polling, Donald Trump from behind, or do you start to see some things maybe moving a little bit this close to the actual election day? Well, what I'm thinking is happening, and this is just conjecture on my part, is that the Biden campaign believes, rightly or wrongly, that they have the election wrapped up. And I say this because of where they're going this week. Now, states that Biden absolutely is it's critical, for example, for Biden to win the presidential election. He has to win states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Now, he's going there, and he's spent, he's spent an enormous amount of time there, but he's also spending time in Georgia. Senator Harris, Kamala Harris, this past weekend was campaigning in Georgia. Now, Georgia is a state the Democrats would like to have, but it hasn't gone for a Democrat since Bill Clinton in 1992. Bob Dole won by about 50,000 votes in 1996. 
But the fact that the campaign is spending so much time, you say, why are they in Georgia? Now, Georgia is marginally a swing state. It's about tied. But they say the Democrats are states that are a lot more important than winning in, mathematically than winning Georgia. So why, do they, why are they doing that? I think part of it, there are two contested Senate seats in Georgia. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the Senate in Democratic hands. And they think that they, they think they have the luxury, essentially, of doing that. And Joe Biden is going to go this Friday. He's going to Iowa. Now, Iowa is a small state. It's a swing state, but it's probably the most conservative of the swing states. It's kind of almost going like Kansas in many respects. It's becoming states like Minnesota and Iowa are becoming more and more um, Republican, while states like Arizona and Texas are becoming more and more Democrat. So you figure, why is he going to Iowa when he could? That's that time he could be spending in Wisconsin. I think part of the reason is there's a very there's a contested race in, in Iowa, and he thinks somehow his campaign's appearance there might make the difference to tip the to tip the edge over to the Democrats that he has essentially a working majority in the United States Senate and in certainly in the United States House of Representatives as well. That's I think the strategy they have in Trump's case. I think Trump is doing what's similar what John McCain did back in 2008. He's making he's basing everything on Pennsylvania. Why, for example, did he bring up the whole fracking issue of whether Joe Biden wanted to disallow fracking? Biden, of course, said it was only on federal lands. Um, Donald Trump says that in the primary debate, he said he would get to allow it because he knows that there are places in southeast and particularly in western Pennsylvania, people who are generally conservative Democrats, kind of blue collar Democrats, maybe fiscally somewhat liberal. But they but fracking and energy is very important to that part of the state. It's almost a lifeline. Of the, it's a lifeline there. It's kind of his last vestige, his last hope. It's kind of almost a hair Mary. If he can pull off a victory in Pennsylvania, he has a very he has a, he definitely has a good shot of staying in the game electorally. That's why they're spending so much time there, I believe. Other also also interesting, Trump has had an obsession with the state of New Hampshire. He barely won it last time, was the closest race, at least numerically last time around. I mean he barely lost it rather. He spent this last weekend in the state of New Hampshire and thinking that he can somehow turn New Hampshire around and also in Maine. And why is Maine interesting? He went to Bangor, first of all. So Maine does this interestingly. Maine and Nebraska are the only two states that divide their electoral votes by congressional district. Whoever wins the states, whoever wins the state, and if you win the state by, you know, one voter or 3,000 votes, you win the two electoral votes from the congressional district, from the state, rather. The rest are based on congressional district. And there's one congressional district that goes all the way from northern Maine down to the down to essentially Lewis and Auburn, the southern part of the state. It's the largest congressional district, the east of the Mississippi. Donald Trump was there in Bangor. Why? Because of one electoral vote. Because that congressional district is one electoral vote that's contested. He's probably thinking that this could very well go to 269 to 269, and winning that one congressional district that he won by 11 points last time could tip the scales and put him over the edge. It's amazing. A week before the election, he's going to a state for that one one electoral vote. Wow, that is something. In I don't know when it comes to strategy. Uh, I've noticed a couple of different websites pointing out that compared to Donald Trump. Joe Biden is not traveling much. So you have Kamala Harris yep. that's traveling, you know, even places like Texas. Um, oh, so apparently one, yeah. do, if, if they feel Texas is in play, that is shocking to me to think that Texas would be a blue state or they would be able to turn it around right now. But what, what I wanted to point out is that it seems like for a presidential candidate that you don't pack it this early. Like Joe Biden, normally anyone that would be running as a Democrat right now would be out in full force. But it seems like Donald Trump is doing like two to one when it comes to appearances or maybe Maybe even three to one. It's a lot more. So maybe we could talk about that after the break, and we can kind of. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of curious why you 
think the strategy is for Joe Biden that um, why why let your foot off the gas if, if you feel like you're up? And why Texas? Why are they yep. focusing so well, much on Texas? I can talk Texas about too? that. So let's do that right after the break. Rich Rubino is the author of American Politics on the Rocks, polit-geek.com. You can find him online. This is Overnight America KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. News Radio 1120 KMOX. The voice of the Cardinals. In Overnight America, on Mondays, we have our friend Rich Rubino join us, author of American Politics on the Rocks and also politageekcom You can find some of his other media appearances on there. I'm always a fan when he joins us on Monday nights. And by the way, Rich, uh, is it cold there, too? Have you seen any snow up in your end of the world? No, not yet, um, although there's, there, may, there may be some scattered snowflakes uh, tomorrow. Okay, that's scary. I mean, Halloween is here. We're going to get enough scary things headed our way, but (laughs) snow is not one of them that we should be getting. But I wanted to uh, ask you just a little bit about some of the different reports and even the major networks. I forgot if it was CBS or ABC, but some of them were talking about the schedule of Joe Biden. And they look at it. It's a week out of the election. And they say, wait a minute, Joe Biden's making no appearances a week out of the election. It's a Monday. There's nothing on his schedule. And then you see Kamala Harris head over to Texas. And I'm thinking, how could you flip a Texas into a blue state? So what's the uh, point of going there right now? So I'm kind of curious why yep. you think Joe Biden isn't ramping up like uh, Donald Trump was doing multiple appearances a day. And then you have uh, Kamala Harris going to places like Texas. Well, first of all, Joe Biden, he's essentially doing the Thomas E. Dewey strategy. So Thomas E. Dewey, as they always say, governor of New York, ran in 1948. Tried to, he was well ahead in the polls, tried to be as safe. He's a Republican nominee as possible. So we'd go around the country basically talking in platitudes, trying to say as little as possible. It turned out that the American people, the, um, Harry Truman was going all around the country, but really about 31,000 miles in a whistle-stop tour, which had about 3 million voters directly see him. And eventually Truman, you know, upset and lost the, in the upper car, and Dewey was absolutely shocked. So that's kind of the precedent that, you know, when a candidate does kind of stay complacent. In Joe Biden's case, he spent a lot of time, he does spend a lot of time campaigning, but most of it is fundraising, or he does events from his studio, his studio down in his basement. He does a lot of interviews with local stations. 
I think part of it is when you're at this point, they probably have internal polling that shows that they're probably a little bit further ahead and they don't want him to make some sort of a gaffe. He'd call himself a gaffe machine or to make a mistake. They'd rather have him in some of these controlled environments. It's, it's interesting, you know, that just this past weekend that he did not do any actual campaign events. He made where he actually went on campaign, rather. So it's fascinating. Now, why Texas? Well, Texas mm-hmm. is been, has been trending Democrat. Um, it's been trending Democrat gradually. The last time it was seriously contested was 1992, where you had Ross Perot, a Texan, and George H.W. Bush, a Texan, um, both running, and Bill Clinton landed up losing it by about a point. Clinton that year actually had kind of an obsession with Texas, like Trump does with uh, New Hampshire, to the point that about a week before the election, he went to San Antonio, even though his, his, his advisor suggested him going to other places. 1976, both Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford, the day before the election, were in the state of Texas. Um, 19, and then in 1976, rather, 1992, Perot, Clinton, and Bush all visited the state of Texas. So it's basically been a republic ever since, you know, go back to 1994, George W. Bush becomes governor um, and take, be, defeats Ann Richards. Ever since then, it's becoming more and it would be, had becoming more and more Republican, but now it's kind of going the other way, becoming more and more Democrat. It's got 38 electoral votes. If the Democrats can somehow siphon off those 30 electoral votes, I can really, I'll say this, it can envision no scenario where the Republicans win without the state of Texas. Now, that being said, why spend time in Texas when you could be in Wisconsin? Well, my guess is that they probably have polls that show that the Texas Senate race, they can potentially defeat John Cornyn, and that's another thing. You know, you go to Iowa, you go to Georgia, you go to Texas under the guise that they're showdown states, but you're also going there to try to help um, potential Senate candidates. Also, Beto O'Rourke, the uh, former congressman from El Paso, wrote a not-bad, and the past couple of weeks has been suggesting that the Democrats actually have a viable chance of coming of winning Texas if they make a campaign appearances, and if they spend an enormous amount of money there. And it looks like the Democrats have finally said, yes, we're going to do that. And as I say, you know, it's essentially game over. And they're also probably trying to put fear into the Trump campaign as well. They're saying, you know, Trump's probably saying, if they're going to Texas, you know, and I'm trying to, and, and I'm spending my time trying to essentially, you know, save my home territory, the places that I won last time, does this mean that they're having those internal polls? Um, but my guess is they do, and they think that even if they lose Texas, they can pick up that Senate seat. And there are also about five congressional seats that they think they can potentially pick up by Joe Biden or Kamala Harris putting putting the money in there as well. And also, they just have so much money. The Democrats have raised so much money, so they figure they might as well they might as well put it everywhere they possibly can. So that's kind of my answer to that. Wow, Texas would that shock you? Like, what would you say the percentage of? Your, if we were to put odds together that Texas goes blue, what would you put that percentage at? I'm going to say Trump is 57 right now to 43 for uh, for to 43 Whoa. for Obama. That's I mean for Obama. For I mean, Biden. yeah, <laughs> for Joe Biden. Yeah, I think they have legi- <laughs> they have legitimate chance, and that's this is you know it just the, 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 Texas is becoming more and more certainly the, the influx of Latino population for is one is part of it, for example, but also um, and the Latinos are Latinos are are more and more Democrat than Republican. I mean, a lot of this, you know, this is an August is a broad generalization. Um, there's certainly more some Democrats, for example, some Cuban Americans, for example, in Florida that tend to be more Republican, and particularly older Cuban voters. But so you have Latino population. You have places like, you know, right, right around the border, parts of El Paso that are more and more Democratic, Beto O'Rourke's little congressional district, for example. But you also have suburban parts of suburban Austin, suburban Dallas, suburban Houston, and those are the parts that Donald Trump does not do as well with as well as other Republicans have in the past. And I think that the Democrats think they can potentially take advantage of that and they say if they can get five or six congressional seats and potentially knock off John Cornyn, that would certainly be a victory for the for uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. 
You know, I wonder, um, of all the different people who have covered elections, do you miss Tim Russert? Uh, yes, I, I yes, absolutely. I he, would, he would be he one was of great, them. wasn't he? <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Uh, the ones I like today, contemporaneously, I've always liked, I've always liked C-SPAN, but I also like um, Michael Barone's another one who likes to pull out statistics, but certainly Chris Hayes on MSNBC. Anyone who can talk, talk about history and pull it back. Um, Tim Russert, part of his strength was, you know, he certainly, he knew where the bodies were buried, so someone would try to answer him, and he would immediately go off and say, well, you said this, you said this. Or what he would do, too, that I thought was interestingly, he would put what he thinks the, what he thinks the, the respondent's answer is going to be in the question by saying, like, you said this, this, and this, but because of this, so they can't answer the question the way they want to answer it, and they can kind of take them off the talking points a bit. Genius. Yes, that was very good. You know, I'm wondering if you think there could be something that impacts turnout? Because it seems like there are so many people that are voting early. I mean, we're, what, 60-plus million people or so, they say, have already voted early, which is pretty amazing, all things considered. Um, I'm wondering if you think anything else that could impact the turnout inside of the polls this year. Um, because in the past, people said if the weather's bad, it kind of holds people back or whatever, things like that. Do you ever, um, do you ever wonder what might impact this year? Yeah, I mean, it's always you always wonder about some sort of a cataclysm, something you're just not expecting to happen. You know, a week before the election day. I mean, in 2016, it was it was James Comey, the FBI director, announcing that they were continuing to invest in Hillary Clinton because they said they had found um, stuff on Anthony Weiner, the former congressman of New York's computer. Um, that certainly impacted the election. You had the Iran Contra issue in 1992. Um, there were some people that were coming up on indictments that were involved in Iran-Contra that certainly hurt George H.W. Bush. Uh, George H.W. Bush blamed Alan Greenspan for his views for, for what he did with interest rates about a week before the election. So there's always that possibility. Um, in 2004, Osama bin Laden came out with a tape where he excoriated George W. Bush, which actually I think that it probably benefited Bush because it made Bush seem like he was the adversary of Osama bin Laden. Um, so it kind of benefited him. There's some who, some conspiracy theorists who believe that Bin Laden was doing this because he wanted to have Bush because he thought Bush would be just a better person as an adversary um, to galvanize his to galvanize his base. Um, so that, I mean, there are all these different possible scenarios. Probably the most important one, by the way, though, that really changed an election: 1968. So Lyndon Johnson, about a week before the election, has the North Vietnamese, the South Vietnamese, and the United States ready to go to peace talks to end the Vietnam War. Now, if they, if they were to come up with a solution, what probably would have happened is Hubert Humphrey, his Democratic president, vice president, the, Democrat, the vice president, Democratic presidential nominee, perhaps could have won that election. But what Richard Nixon did is he sent Anne Chenault, an emissary, over to meet with President Tu, the president of South Vietnam, our allies, and basically said, you can get a better deal if Richard Nixon becomes president. So as a result, President Tu calls President Johnson, so we're not going to the peace table, and we're not meeting at the peace table. President Johnson has this information. Hubert Humphrey has this information, and neither of them agrees to release it. But there's a tape of Lyndon Johnson talking to Everett Dirksen from Illinois, the, House, the Senate Minority Leader, and saying, you know, I know what's going on here, but we're not essentially we're not going to release it because it could essentially, you know, create absolute um, bedlam in this country, and that's what Humphrey believed. But it could potentially Humphrey actually believed that there could actually have been a revolution on the streets had this actually come out publicly. So that was probably the one example which really could have turned election, which did not. Hmm. So does election night for you look like a Super Bowl party? Do you have like a bunch of food and drinks lined up and you're just ready to sit on the couch and watch it all night long? <laughs> no, I'm usually on the uh, on the computer. I do a few interviews and I'm usually just watching it um, going between the channels, like uh, like uh, moving between the channels uh, like everybody else. And uh, that's about it. 
you don't have like a command center with eight TVs going. <laughs> They're all like on different <laughs> networks and things. Yeah, no, times certainly have changed. It's just fast. Oh, no, it's fascinating, though, you know, how much what, what it, not so much in this election, but it's more fascinating in the midterm elections in terms of where they where the stations choose they want to cover, whether it's this Senate race, this House race, which races get get them get so much um, attention, which races don't. And they always have the possibility of something just comes out of absolutely nowhere. Like in 2002, Roy Barnes, the Democratic governor of Georgia, relatively popular. Almost nobody thought that Sonny Perdue was going to beat him in that race. All of a sudden, you look and you remember you look and you say, "Oh my gosh, Sonny Perdue beat Roy Barnes in this race. How is that possible?" I actually remember in 1994 there were two big races. One of them, Mario Cuomo in New York against George Pataki. Mario Cuomo ended up losing to George Pataki, and the other one I remember, George W. Bush against Ann Richards. Ann Richards had a 60 percent personal approval rating on election day, and I remember watching Bernie Snaw on CNN announcing the results. And I remember him saying, oh, my gosh, you know, George W. Bush has defeated Ann Richards. And then he saw another one, and he says, um, and we, in New York, and he starts seeing, and I think it was, he said, and Mario Cuomo, oh, no, 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 George Pataki has defeated Mario Cuomo. I remember just being really fascinated by, you know, you could see he was Shocked. about to read it because everyone expected Cuomo to win that election. Yeah, and I wonder, um, in some of your thoughts, too, leading up to this election, do you think celebrities have played any impact in this one? Do you feel like sometimes they come out and they tell you things? And, you know, we like to look at the TMZs of the world. Uh, what, do you, what do you think are the biggest outside influences to this election that may have actually swung people certain ways? Um, celebrities, no. I, don't, I mean, I think what they do potentially, there may be somebody who they somebody that isn't really interested in politics, a low propensity voter, if you will, but all of a sudden they see, you know, their favorite wrestler and then they, somehow it gets in their conscience <laughs> that, um, you know, it's almost top of the mind. You hear the person's name, candidate, and then you say, like in real estate, they try to tell you to, you know, they try to tell you to send out flyers to people, not because they're necessarily going to be buying houses, but because, um, but because if they ever do decide they're going to sell a house or buy a house, you're the top of the mind. So all of a sudden you hear that presidential candidate's name and potentially you go out and you get the, and you, and you want to support them. And obviously somebody who is an ideologue, who's a conservative or a liberal, for example, you know, Ted Dugan certainly, if he, if he goes in a, if he goes in a concert <laughs> and promotes Donald Trump or on the Democratic side, you know, if, some, if a celebrity on the Democratic side, like, um, you know, um, any sort of, you know, a, a comedian, for example, certainly someone like um, Jimmy Kimmel, who obviously promotes Joe Biden, you see that, and the low propensity voter may go out. But I actually think the most important endorsement, probably in the history of endorsements, and the only other one I could think of would be Jesse Helms endorsing Reagan in 1976, was when Jim Clyburn, the congressman from South Dakota, South Carolina, the African American, the uh, number three in the House majority, in the House leadership, um, endorsed Joe Biden after Joe Biden had lost Iowa, had lost New Hampshire. People were already saying his campaign was essentially dormant. J- Jim Clyburn endorsed him in South Carolina, and then part of the establishment in South Carolina lines up for him, and then Joe Biden upsets everybody else in South Carolina, goes on to Super Tuesday, and there was no stopping. That was, I think, the most important. And I, I can't think of another endorsement really in American history more important than Jim Clyburn's endorsement of Joe Biden. Yeah, to kind of um, put a point to that, so over the weekend in Pennsylvania, one of the states that Joe Biden was really focusing on, they held that rally, and he was up on stage, and it was more of a drive-in rally, so we had some people that were spaced out, but mostly it was cars. Some people estimated about 130 cars showed up, and they had the cars spaced out so the people could step out of their car and stand next to it, but, you know, they weren't really close to certain people, so they bring in Bon Jovi. And still, you know, you had about 130 cars. And I thought, well, that's kind of not the power of Bon Jovi. If you were to put tickets out there, 
they would have sold, you know, 10,000, 20,000, whatever it was, because that's what Bon Jovi does. But, you know, for a political rally, that doesn't really move the needle. So I thought of all the talk we have about celebrities and going out there and doing interviews and you had that whole thing with uh, 50 Cent and his ex-girlfriend, Chelsea Handler, and, you know, all of these other things. And I'm thinking, man, none of this impacts or even influences anyone when it comes to voting anymore. So it's not like it's a... I'm just curious if you thought that. Well, was the only time, the only I can think of in history in '68 when Paul Newman, for example, and some of the some of the celebrities who would support Eugene McCarthy in the primary, and they were skeptical of Hubert Humphrey, came out at the very end, and there was actually a telethon. Both Richard Nixon and Hubert Humphrey had competing telethons on, I think, ABC and CBS for about three hours, where they would answer people's calls. And you had Richard Nixon. You know who introduced them? Jackie Gleason. Uh, from the Honeymooners, <laughs> was the yeah. one who introduced them. And on the Democratic side, you had folks like Paul Newman coming on. You had other celebrities. That shows, I think, the power that celebrities had um, at that time. But right now, other than Jim Clyburn, I think there's only one endorsement that's probably, that, that probably could swing this election right now. Who's that? I would say probably the situation from uh, the Jersey Shore. <laughs> if, if he were to come out, I think, this probably, I think he probably could tip the scales to one candidate or the other, but I do not know if he's empowered enough to do it. He is a powerful human being, and <laughs> it shows. Rich Rubino, American Politics on the Rocks, politic-geek.com, and, of course, online social media. If people wanted to find you on there, where could they uh, pick you up? Yep, politic-geek.com or Rich Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, Paul, on Twitter, or just go to Facebook and type in Rich, R-U-B-I-N-O, and you can certainly see all my interviews in uh, there as well. Perfect. Rich Rubino, uh, great. We'll check in again next week, and we'll be one day removed from the election. I know you're going to be up all night. Just so giddy. Cannot wait for that to happen. Um, Looking forward to our conversation next week. Thanks for coming on. Categorically, absolutely. (laughs) And Rich Rubino joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. And Overnight America is live with you tonight till midnight. You may be listening to this on one of the replay hours, which is fine. It's on the podcast, too, at KMOX.com slash ONA. It's hard to believe this weekend, too, is daylight saving time. So it's fall back, which means you get an extra hour. All right. You're going to need it. But then again, do you really want an extra hour to have to worry about politics? I don't know. (laughs) It just adds an extra hour of worry more than anything else. So as you heard at the start, we actually had the opportunity to broadcast the swearing in live. Amy Coney Barrett confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. It is official. And it was nice to be able to uh, witness that and see that go down today. We will talk about it later in the show. And I know there's a lot of people that do want to have their say on it couple of uh, moments during the Senate debate today. You saw Mitch McConnell give a history lesson. You saw that there was uh, Chuck Schumer trying to scold and wag the finger. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get both of those things in. And kind of interesting, there was two articles written in the National Review. The questions Joe Biden should answer about Hunter's emails. And the other one was Biden is still underperforming Hillary. That's the one I'm mainly interested in. And we'll talk to the author of those articles, David Harsany. And joining us later, too, is a local author, someone we've had on the show a few times, Nene Harris, book of Oldest St. Louis. Really looking forward to that. And I wanted to give you an update. I finally, yesterday, finished the latest KMOX special, which we're going to air uh, this Thursday. It's a little bit different than the other ones. 
The other specials have been documentary style. So I did one on Mr. Robert Highland, did one on Jim White, and the third one just recently on Ann Keefe, all of which I thank you so much for your love and support and the outpouring, outpouring good things you said to me after they aired. This Thursday, we're going to do something a little bit different. This Thursday, we're going to replay one of Jim White's Halloween spooktaculars. Jim White is so into those. He was someone that, I think that was his favorite time of the year, and you, it shows, it really does. We're going to replay his episode, his special from Halloween night, 1981, where he was in the Lemp Mansion, one of the haunted places here. Very spooky place in St. Louis, as they say. So the uh, Lemp Mansion, well-known in the area for it. He spent an entire show there. Well, almost an entire show. He spent most of the show there. And we're going to broadcast that. And I got to also let you know, there's a couple of surprises that I put inside of the special. I don't want to tell you what they are, but I think you will like it. <laughs> I think once you hear it, you'll say, oh, I'm so glad he did that. And I don't want to tell you what those are ahead of time because then it wouldn't be a surprise now, would it? One of the nice things is that I talked to our program director, Steve Moore, and I said that, hey, if you want to play this on Halloween night, which is Saturday night, you can do that. So it's going to air this Thursday starting at 9 o'clock, 9 to midnight. We'll do three hours for the Halloween spooktacular. And then on Halloween night, the 31st, we'll replay at same time, 9 until midnight, the Halloween spooktacular with Jim White. Very cool. So we have about a minute here before we have to go to break. Um, I was going to give a couple of different updates. You saw this one story at KMOX.com. Police catch man who allegedly stole from dying woman on sidewalk. This is sad because it becomes a national story. And they had the video surveillance footage of the woman that was laying on the sidewalk close to the building. And they blurred her out. Dude comes up, kind of makes it look like he's showing some interest, but not to help. He was scoping out the area and apparently stole a cell phone from her. They have the guy at least the suspect, I should say. You can see his uh, mugshot online at KMOX.com and what he's been arrested for. And I got to say, it it made me wonder, because I did get an email from a listener just talking about how terrible it was. Judy messages me, and she said, oh, this is just terrible. And I'm like, yeah, it is pretty terrible. But, Judy, it makes me wonder, is this more a St. Louis thing right now, or is this just kind of the feelings we have nationwide? Because I don't, I don't want to accept that's a St. Louis thing, as in that's the way most people would react, because I think we have such a compassion in St. Louis for the homeless and things like that, that there's so many people that want to go out and help that they wouldn't just uh, go out and try to steal from someone that they think is uh, unconscious. All right, this is Overnight America, KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.